Actually, this uh, Easter worship service began months ago in terms of planning. And yesterday I came here very early in the morning and found the flower team already working, trying to make this place just perfect for an offering to the Lord and for each of you so you can enjoy the beauty. Then all day long, musicians work preparing for this hour. Why do we do it? Uh, we really do it for two reasons. We do it as an offering to the Lord in response to His resurrection. But we also do it as a, a, a gift to you. We look forward to people joining us on Easter, but I wanted to point this out. That what we do here in terms of, we try to make an excellent offering for the Lord's sake, but that isn't Easter. What we do here doesn't create Easter. God created Easter, and we simply respond to it. Easter is the historical fact that God raised His Son from the dead. And ever since, the world has been responding. And those of us who know Jesus as Savior, we respond with joy, and we respond with celebration. And why? Because Easter gives us hope. And I want to tell you about hope just for a little bit this morning. Would you bow with me in prayer? Lord, we are grateful for a gorgeous day like today and for all of those who have helped make this place so beautiful and this service so beautiful. But most of all, we thank you for giving us your son that truly is the beautiful gift that gives us hope. And my prayer is that in these next few moments, those of us who have that hope, it might grow deeper and we might appreciate it with greater dimensions. Those of us who are still looking for it might find it. I pray that in Christ's name. Amen. God often gives me theological insights while I'm enjoying early morning coffee at Starbucks. I usually get there after my run about 6 o'clock. And recently the young woman who serves me said, You know, it's my birthday. And it's going to be a horrible day. Can you believe I'm 30? Half my life is over. And it just occurred to me that someday I'm going to die. Now that's at 6 o'clock in the morning at Starbucks. I thought, that's a great birthday. So with all my pastoral consideration in mind for her obvious distress, I quickly responded, don't expect any pity from me. I'm 61, and by your calculations, I'm already dead. <laughs> you know, I'm reflecting on that truth, it struck me. You know, that's what Easter really is all about. Easter is devoted to that gnawing reality in all of us, whether we be 12 or 80, that we're mortal and that our time on earth is limited. In that popular television drama, Chicago Hope, you've all seen times when the doctors gather around a seriously ill patient and the cliche comes out where there's life, there's hope. Reflecting on those words, I, I want to respond not necessarily. I know many people who are alive but have very little hope, either for the present or the future. And that's very sad. Uh, at least for a while today, I want to turn those words around, just for Easter, and say, where there's hope, there's life. Because that's really true. We can't really be fully alive until we experience hope. Hope for the present, hope for the future. And that's what Easter is all about. That's why it's attractive. And I want you to listen to the Bible when it talks about hope. First... Easter provides hope to face with optimism the challenges we confront every day. In God's great mercy, we've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. A living hope. What a, what a legacy. What a, what a gift. You see, thinking about the resurrection of Jesus, first of all, before we get into the future, we think about the fact that our God is more powerful than any 
situation we're facing today, the worst situation that perhaps you brought through those doors with you, God is more powerful. Think with me, what could be more hopeless than a dead Messiah buried in a borrowed tomb on Good Friday? And yet Easter morning reveals, reveals that surprise, how God can come with interventions we didn't expect, with miracles beyond our comprehension, and he transforms hopeless situations into new beginnings. And that truth helps explain why we Christians are just uh, optimistic. We have confidence, first of all, that our future is good no matter what's happening to us right now, because we know the last chapter. We have confidence that with God, there are no impossible problems. We're not alone on this planet. We have a God who intervenes. Confidence our God can bring life to dead dreams rebuild lives and relationships that have been seemingly shattered beyond repair. And perhaps that's where you are today. And it gives us confidence that through faith in Jesus, this is best of all, through faith in Jesus as Savior, we can change. And, and who doesn't want to get better? We, we can hide those dark chapters of our past, never to be brought up again because they're wiped away by our Lord's forgiveness and our relationship with a holy God can be restored. And, and that's good news. The Bible describes living hope this way. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? In other words, nothing happening in your life today can separate you from God's love. In all things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. That's hope. That's good news. That is not wishful thinking. It's, it, it's a tremendous way to live. And so back to you today, maybe you're confused this morning. Maybe life isn't going as you planned and the road ahead is very uncertain. Maybe that's why you came. Maybe you're lonely, people let you down, people die, people move, people betray us. Sometimes we just feel guilty when we come to church and somehow the past just cascades down on us when we sit in the sanctuary and we just feel very uncomfortable. Or perhaps we're just too busy. Life isn't slowing down. We can't control our schedules. There's always another crisis at work. We feel trapped. Or maybe your children bring you constant anxiety and you can't fix their problems and that breaks your heart. Or maybe you're sick and you're just not getting better. You know, the, the, the reasons why we need God in interventions are as many as our names here today. You could write the list. And Easter hope is the assurance that our God not only created every planet in the universe and names every star, he knows you by name. And the incredible fact is he's involved in every situation this morning that's causing your hearts to be troubled. Nothing is impossible with him. Paul the Apostle describes Easter hope this way. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so we despaired even of life. Have you ever felt like that? Indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. And maybe the very burden in your life God will use today to make you somehow lock hands with the God who raises dead things and puts lives back together. You see, when we set our hope on God, we can expect divine interventions. And what looks like the end by tonight could be the beginning. Someone has put it this way, hope is an inner power to believe that life can get better. Not perfect, just better than it is. Good enough to make it worth the struggle. 
Hope helps us accommodate ourselves to imperfect reality, changing the things we can change, accepting things we can't change, and discovering that the things we can't change are things with which we can live with God's help. That's Easter hope. And you know, that's sort of good news. But if that were all I could offer you today, in God's name, that wouldn't be enough. Because there's so much more to Easter hope that's really relevant. This is where the story gets exciting. You see, Easter hope provides us with hope for our future. In contrast to the daily dose of pessimism from the media, be it global warming or be it pollution or you name it, Easter reminds us of God's promises about the future. The future of Christians. And this is what we know. Followers of Jesus have a glorious future described by the Bible as eye has not seen nor ear heard. It hasn't even entered into the hearts of people what God has prepared for those who love him. Our future is beyond our ability to even imagine. And then we have the assurance that history's last chapter will not be written by the Saddam Husseins of this world. It will be written by the triumph of Jesus over death and over evil and that day when every knee will bow before him. And one day we're told armies will exchange their weapons for farm tools and the lion will lie down with the lamb. And that's a metaphor, maybe sort of like what's happened in Ireland as a microcosm this week where two impossible enemies came together. But at that time, the whole world is going to be in peace through Jesus Christ. But you know, best of all, because Christ died for us on the cross and was resurrected, we have a hope in the future of our sins being forgiven. We never have to go and face a God of judgment. We have access to heaven, not because we deserve to be there, but because we can get there by grace as a gift. Someone has written, if we would help people to be valiant in their Christian living, we should be ringing out all over the world that Christ has won, that evil is toppling, and that the end is sure, and nothing can for long resist our mighty, victorious Lord. That's so true. Jesus is King of Kings. He's alive, and that means we can live in a state of being recklessly unafraid, uh, indomitably optimistic. Victory is in the air. That's what Easter proclaims. When everything seems out of control, we know God's firmly in control, and someday He's going to assert Himself. I'm fascinated every Easter, every Easter, how there are new so-called scholarly attempts to discredit the Easter miracle. We've seen them all. This year, the Mercury reported on the PBS special that maybe you've seen. It was a supposedly new insights into the Jesus of history. And as I watched it, I noticed, first of all, that among the scholars contributing to that series, there was not one evangelical contributor included. So it wasn't surprising that this miniseries came to be labeled by many Christians as simply a Jesus without Easter. It was a beautiful, you saw it, scholarly in terms of the history about Jesus, his teaching, and his times, it was well done. But it very interestingly omitted the resurrection, or at least very slightly alluded to it. And you see, that's the whole point. There is no significant Jesus. There is no Christianity. There is no church without the resurrection. So if you can have an Easter special on Jesus without the resurrection, you very conveniently eliminated Christianity. Why? If you study the early church, the book of Acts, you'll learn that when they went out to preach, they didn't preach the morals of Jesus. They weren't that unique. They didn't talk about his birth. They didn't talk about anything. But one thing, we were eyewitnesses to his bodily resurrection. And because he lives, death has been conquered. And that was new news. 
That was revolutionary. And that's why the thousands poured into the church under the power of that kind of preaching, that death has been conquered. There was no other religion offering that because no one had ever been resurrected from the dead. And that's what we stake as Christians our Easter upon. So any series or any scholar that eliminates the resurrection is neither scholarly nor is it Christian. It's simply history. Happily, the editor of the Mercury concluded his article by saying the Jesus of the church has outlived all his rivals. That's so true. You see, those of us who know Jesus, it's sort of like knowing love. You can hear somebody trying to discount love day in and day out, but if we're receiving love and giving love every day, it would be nonsense to have anybody argue that it doesn't exist. We know Jesus is alive. All attempts to make that resurrection a myth are futile, have been for thousands of years and always will be. In fact, secular culture today is more hungry than ever, according to just a recent article in the Wall Street Journal. Leaders, secular leaders, are getting more impressed with spirituality, some specifically Christian, because they can't find hope anywhere else. And why is that? Well, have you ever thought about it? You know, death is still among us. Aging still happens. We don't have any answers. Physical fitness and health food are almost national obsessions, but they aren't quite cutting death. Cosmetic surgery, clothing styles, genetic research indicates our culture is bent on trying to find eternal youth, but we haven't found it. Happily, the boomer generation has moved old age up to 79 years old. Even those in the 80s say they still feel young. I love that. As every year I'm getting older. I think that really is fantastic, but you know, physical death is still here. The Easter hope is something far beyond trying to find some eternal fountain of youth for this world. It's a proclamation that because Jesus lives, we will live forever with him in heaven, those of us who want to. It's available for anyone. Eternal life is available for anyone who wants it, regardless of our track record. It's a matter of receiving him as Savior from sin and death. What's the implications of that? Well, I can tell you that for Christians, physical death is not an enemy. I can't tell you I'm anxious to die today, but I do know that when it happens, I'll know what's going on. It's not an enemy. It's, a, it's an adventure to a greater dimension of life. The grave is not the end. It's the beginning. And so many people who, who calmly rejected Jesus live without almost that, that torment of apprehension of what happens when we die. And there have been no other answers given in history like the one Jesus gave. Listen to how he speaks to our fear about death when he says to believers, in my Father's house are many rooms, and I'm going to go prepare a place for you. And I will come back and I'll take you to be with me that where I am there you may be also. That's good news. My wife was telling me how at seven years old she was invited to stay overnight at a friend's house, and this was the first time she'd ever been away from home. You know how that was. Maybe you remember your first night away. And when it came time to go to bed, she called her mom and she says, I want to come home. And she was afraid to sleep and wake up in a strange place. She wanted her own bed, and above all, she wanted her mom. And I understand why Jesus uses this metaphor in trying to calm our fears about death, of likening physical death for the Christian to a homecoming, to be with him, including a special room prepared just for us and welcoming arms to enfold us when we walk through the scary valley of death. So simple a child can understand, and yet so profound. I challenge you, try to find any comfort, any hope beyond what Jesus offers those who would trust him. I watched the media coverage of Joseph Aliato's funeral, former mayor of San Francisco. 
and his service focused on his accomplishments in helping establish that beautiful San Francisco skyline. And it was interesting, after his service, this funeral procession weaved its way through San Francisco, touching all the spots that he had touched with his life. What impressed me, though, was that the focus was on the past and what he had accomplished, and there was a strange silence about the future and what happens next. And then I thought, well, that's logical. The secular world has very little to say about life beyond the grave. Without Jesus, there really isn't a lot of hope. There's a lot of maybe guesstimates, but no hope, no certainty. But because, in contrast, because Jesus lives, we Christians know that to be absent from our body is to be present with Jesus. Listen to D.L. Moody, a great Christian of the past, as he described his physical death as it was approaching. Someday you're going to read in the papers that D.L. Moody is dead. Don't you believe a word of it. At that moment, I'll be more alive than I am now. I shall simply have gone up higher, out of this old clay tenement, into a house that's immortal, a body that death can't touch, that sin can't taint, a body fashioned unto his glorious body. That which is born of the flesh may die, but that which is born of the spirit will live forever. You know, in a way, we have to make a decision. Either that's the greatest myth and fairy tale that was ever uttered, or it's the greatest truth in the world that we would neglect at our peril. As Christians, this Easter, we wish for you Easter hope. Certainty that because our Lord lives, you can live also forever. As stated in the Bible, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what God wants you to have today, hope. And so I'm going to invite you to make Easter hope your hope. It's available. You don't have to qualify. You just have to want it. And, and you get it by believing the simple thing that Jesus died for you on the cross and was resurrected. And because that's true, he can be your Savior and give you eternal life. A child can understand it. So simple. So unsophisticated, many reject it because they want something more complicated, more sophisticated. But for those of us who choose to trust Jesus as Savior, this promise, this promise from his own lips becomes our personal source of hope and eternal security today. Listen to it. I am the resurrection and the life. And he or she who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. If you think about it, that's an offer too good to refuse. And it's yours for the taking today. Would you bow with me in prayer? Lord, thank you for the gift of hope. Thank you you gave us an answer for this enemy we call death. Thank you it's been conquered by our Lord Jesus Christ. Open our eyes to this glorious fact that Jesus is like a healing river for our fears. And that he has assured us that because he's prepared a place for us, if we want it, that we can be with him forever. Open our eyes to that glorious truth, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.
bow with me in a final prayer? If by chance you have felt that nudge of the Spirit in your heart, today you'd like to have Easter hope as your hope. Would you follow me in the following prayer in your own heart? It becomes that simple to become a Christian. Lord, I believe that you are the Son of God, and I believe that you died for my sins on the cross, and I believe that you were resurrected, and that gives you the power to give me eternal life and to forgive me of my sins. And I accept that gift, and I embrace the hope. And Lord, I pray for those who today are reaching out. Confirm them of the truth of this message. And those of us who know it, oh God, fill us with joy so that we might go radiated in a world that needs to see our joy. And thank you that it's really true. Because Jesus lives, we can face tomorrow. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing our final word. Easter hope and go forth into the world and share it. Amen. Amen. Amen.